Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, and welcome to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, this episode this week, I think you're going to find to be intriguing, just given a lot of stuff we've been hearing in the news lately uh, about the great resignation. Um, my guest today is Evan Sohn. He's the uh, chairman and CEO of Recruiter.com. And I could not think of a better representative to speak about what's going on. Uh, in the world today. And it's not just unique to the U.S., uh, although this is where we get a lot of the, uh, the press around this. So, um, Evan, I, um, I'm not going to go into a you know, deep bio here. We'll just kind of work this in as we go. Um, but from your perspective, and I've got my own bias on this, uh, but from your perspective, first of all, just kind of define what you think the Great Resignation is and what it's about. Uh, sure. Uh, and again, thanks, Blaine, for having me on your show. Uh, I've been uh, in preparation, listening, and it's a watching, listening. It's it's a great, great, uh, great segment that you do, and a real great benefit to all your listeners. Um, you know, the Great Resignation. Uh, let's break it all down for a moment. You know, what most people don't know is that there's resignations every month. Um, so the annual turnover in the U.S. is around 22 to 25%, depending how you run the numbers. So uh, uh, financial services might have 15% and retail might have over 80%. So every month people quit and people get hired. Um, and I know we tend to look at the job numbers, you know, that once a month job numbers and go, oh, crap, only 195,000 or 499,000 jobs were added. But you, what we really look at is how many millions of people are hired every month, how many millions quit, how many people are hired. So the great resignation was really uh, incremental to the, to the general average. So if you look at the uh, 160 million working adults in the US, divide that by 25%, something like that, 22%. So three and a half million people are quitting every month, uh, something like that, that was kind of the average in 2019. So in August of 21, we saw 4.5 million people quit or 4.3 the following month, whatever the numbers were. So the great resignation was, oh my God, everyone saw 4.3, 4.5 million people quit. This is crazy. The reality is it was more than usual, right? And, yeah. and again, significant more, but more than usual. So the first question is, why did this happen now? Uh, what were people waiting for? And, and I think that uh, there was a buildup of people waiting to see what happens before they actually left their job. Now, this time around, people are leaving because, hey, I moved to Florida, my office is in New York, and now they want me to come back. Or, hey, you know what? I like working from home all the time. My company wants me to come in twice a week. I don't want to do that. Done. Um, I had childcare. My grandma used to watch the children. 
and now she doesn't want to do it anymore because of COVID. Uh, there are a variety of reasons why the Great Resignation happened. Uh, and at the same time, there was this huge talent shortage also, right? So you had wage inflation, talent shortage. So people leaving to go across the street to get a better job. Um, I also think that something that we're not really tracking that no one really tracks is the rise of the gig economy. You know, yeah. uh, not too long ago, sort of pre-pandemic levels, 35% of all adults actually had a side hustle. It's a big number, 35% of all. And I think what you start to see happen is if I'm working at home and I'm remote, uh, why not just make my side hustle my, my present job? And anecdotally, I've seen that happen with some people. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that are going on to this great resignation. Long with an answer for you, Blaine, but uh, yeah, I asked for it, so the least I could do is give it to you. Well, what I love about this uh, is it opens up a whole lot of little rabbit holes that we can yeah. go down. And part of the theme on this um, podcast, and this is why the title of it, The Soul of Business, it's, it's my take on highly effective businesses that they do, I mean, every business starts with, you know, what I'm calling the soul. There's a spirit, there's there's this ideation, this something that quickened an idea that spawned the business to begin with. And, it, you know, and for every one of these businesses that we see around the world today, at the beginning, there was a lot of energy, a lot of focus, a lot of uh, desire to have what we were offering, whether it was a product or service brought to market because we thought it would make a difference. Now, as you know, companies you know, start to organize and they start to grow, yeah, this is just a real quick primer on how business organizations work for those of you that are listening. But that idea starts to fade into the background. And the business of the business becomes more important than the business of the idea being delivered yeah. into the marketplace. Now, in my experience, and, and I'm real open to pushback on this, Evan, yeah, in my experience, you know, when employees have an opportunity to thrive, and by thriving, I'm talking, you're talking here about tapping into uh, feelings and opportunities to be able to do what they love to do in their life, uh, they will stay around environments in which that possibility exists. Organizations that have moved away from their ideal uh, that ideate, yeah, that ideated state tend to not have those opportunities as frequently. Now, that's just kind of you know, a, a little monologue here to lay a question in place here. Um, the idea of the great resignation, one of the things that I've been doing uh, is calling it the great reclamation. And what I'm talking about in the tense in, the tense in which I'm using it here is that, and you address this, you know, People have, you know, in this two-year period, 24-month, you know, 30-month period that we've been in, have come to realize that the satisfaction that they were getting or not getting in the traditional work environment, the cost-benefit ratio didn't justify going back. And that cost-benefit ratio had little to do with the paycheck. It had more to do with this internal sense of satisfaction. You know, the, you know, 35 percent have got a side hustle. Why do they have a side hustle? Well, because, you know, you know part of it's to make money, but it's also a, a reflection of something that they love to do. So with all of that, I mean, that's just a thesis that I'm kind of working with right here. You know, the gig economy, um, you know, the biggest sectors that are hit with this right now are in retail. You know, and there's a lot of churn in retail normally anyway. Um how do how do how do we square that uh, square that uh, hole? You know, that's right. So you know, I, I think that fundamentally, what you're saying, and that we've been tracking this 
we do a recruiter index every month. So mm -hmm. we've been surveying our recruiters, get their sentiment. Uh, and uh, we publish those results, you know, once a month, usually the day before the, uh, the job report comes out, day before, day after, depending on, the, uh, depending on the month. And what we've really seen over this period of time, and we've been doing it since May of 2020, is the, the rise uh, or the changing candidate priorities. So we asked the recruiters, what are your candidates prioritizing? You know, and I grew up in a world where money could solve all problems. And what you're really saying now is what we've seen in the index is compensation is no longer the first priority for candidates. And again, this is as a whole, uh, you know, or I'm generalizing to prove a point. Um, Work-life balance, remote work, new experiences, you know, those are the things now that the new generation of or the, the current candidates are interested in. And it's, uh, it's actually fascinating, right? Because... Um, it means that you have to create an environment. If you, depending on who you're trying to attract, money is not necessarily going to do it. Maybe it's four days a week. Uh, maybe it's opportunities to travel. I, I don't know what it is, uh, but we get to we get to then figure it out. You know, at the same time, um, what I what I also find fascinating is, let's talk about during the pandemic, companies needed to balance everybody, right? Uh, remote and don't worry, you're not coming back in and all these other things. And I think part of what companies get to do now is actually change their own priorities for whatever they want, whatever they want to solve for. You know, I, I was getting calls when uh, when like JP Morgan Chase was forcing everyone back into the office. How bad are they? They're terrible. This is disgrace. And I'm like, actually, they've decided that what's important to them is the in-person training for the next generation of JP Morgan employees. And that's what they're optimizing for. Mm -hmm. Shopify, on the other hand, based in Ottawa, uh, they said, gee, we'll take talent from wherever they are on the planet because I want to just I want to now get a bigger talent pool than just people that want to live in Ottawa. So I again I don't I don't shame anybody. I just think it's an opportunity for companies to say, this is what I want to be. I don't have to be all things to all people. You know, Blaine, I, I heard a great podcast probably three weeks ago of a CEO who was an engineer. And he goes, our culture was very simple. I surrounded myself with engineers and we did our work and then went home to our friends and family. We didn't have beer parties. We didn't have pizza Fridays. We got our work done. Then we went home. And I was like smiling because that's what we could do. Like you decide what sort of company you have. You don't have to be all things to all people anymore because now people are sort of saying, I only want to work in this environment. I only work in this environment. And I, I think it's, I think it's really fascinating that a company now gets to, to sort of make that decision. And one of our predictions for 2020 is that the work from higher theme that you're hearing today, uh, sorry, work from anywhere theme that you're hearing today is going to morph into hire from anywhere, right? So it's not work from anywhere is candidate centric and hire from anywhere is going to be company centric. And, and later on this year, it's going to be companies that decide where do I want to hire from? You know, if, if you work for me, Blaine, and you never want to come back in the office again, then I don't need to have someone as high priced as you are, right? I could find someone who could do that job who lives outside the US or wherever they are in the US, et cetera. And I think that this hire from anywhere phenomena is really going to come with full force. And we're seeing that now with relationships that we have with, with companies. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, you know the, the, the reclamation, of, you know, I've been reclaiming my life, but there are, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, there are, you know, there's no free lunch. I mean, this is kind of what I'm hearing you say here, hire from anywhere. 
Uh, companies are going to do what's in their own best interest, obviously. That's right. Yeah, they That's are. Right. And they've got an organizing principle that is consistent with how do we go to market and what do we, you know, what's the, you know, what do we need to do from a qualitative standpoint and from an execution standpoint to be able to do that well? That's and right. Now, the funny part that, is, yeah, the funny ahead. part is, you know, five years ago, we were talking about the efficacy of remote work. Mm-hmm. Right. Five years ago, that's what we were talking about. Oh, this guy wants to work at home once a week. I know he's not getting his job done, blah, blah. Like no one even talks about that anymore. No. Right. So now the question is, do I do I make someone ever come back in the office? And and finally, I think my last comment on, on this sort of theme is that I think as a as a as a society, we are slowly shifting from a time-based society to an outcome-based society. Um, do I really care how many hours you worked yesterday or do I care about what you actually got done? Um, do I want to see, you know, it's the old, oh, I want to see you at your desk or do I want to see you actually get done what you were getting done at your desk? Um, so, and I think those things are, are really going to, you're going to see more and more of that conversation. Yeah. And I absolutely love that because, you know, there's research data that shows over and over and over again that, you know, one of the key motivating factors in life is an experience of autonomy. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was talking with a CEO of a firm that I'm doing some work with, uh, and she was uh, lamenting the fact that um, she, you know, one, one of her employees, and it's, a, it's, a, it's not a huge organization, but she had been brought to her attention that one of her employees that was working from home wasn't putting in the hours. And or more precisely, they didn't have a way of, of actually assessing whether the hours were being put into uh, into play. And my question to her was, does it make a difference? That's right. If, yeah. If in fact they're delivering what you're asking for, you know, if they can do that in two hours, knock yourself out. That's right. And, and That's then right. make, make a bigger request. It doesn't work for all industries, but like no, I come from sales. No, no one ever said, I'm, I'm sorry you didn't make your number, but uh, at least you worked really hard last month. You know, like it yeah. just doesn't make a difference. Um, so I, I think, you know, you got to be able to measure it. Uh, you know, those are all the things that, you know, we're talking about the soul of a company. It's really not about clocking in and clocking out time. You know, fundamentally, Blaine, you know, three years ago, four years ago, if I got an email from someone at 1130 at night, I would say, wow, Blaine's working really hard. Yeah. If you got, if you send me an email now at eleven o'clock at night, eleven thirty, my assumption is you took off, you you worked the day, you then had dinner with the family, were doing homework with the kids, hanging out watching some television, and now you're checking your emails before you go to sleep. And yeah. again, but either one might be the same, but this is sort of the assumption that we have today is that we're not sitting. And by the way, this is really lending leading towards sort of that work-life balance. Is that is that a good thing that you did or a bad thing? And the answer is, hey, look, if you were strapped to your desk all day long and now it's 11.30 at night, you're still at your office sending an email, you and I would consider that a bad work-life balance. Yeah. The fact that you took off time to go hang out with the family and prioritize your own personal life, and now, thanks to the internet, are going back online at night and, and wrapping things up so you're not pressed in the morning, I find that to be a very good work-life balance. Yeah. You know, there, there's an interesting distinction that I make in the, in the coaching work that I do with you know, a lot of my executives is, you know, and it's a distinction between performance and contribution. And performance tends to be more tied to traditional ways of doing work. And it's kind of, you know, can we judge the hourly 
uh, country, you know, the, the hourly time that you actually spent at work. And were you showing up? Were you, do, did you seem to be busy? Contribution has a completely different attribute to it. Yeah. And uh, I agree completely. I, I agree completely. Yeah. So when we come back, we're going to take a real, short, real quick break here. When we come back, what I'd like to do is unbundle that a little bit just in terms of demographics. And I'm specifically interested in those that are in positions of uh, management or supervision, how that, you know, uh, that distinction between performance and contribution begins to get squared in the new economy that we find ourselves in. Sounds okay. great. Okay, so speaking with Evan Sohn, CEO and Chairman of uh, Recruiter.com, we will be right back in just a moment. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52-week-long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast-changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. Again, speaking with Evan Sohn, CEO and um, the uh, chairman of Recruiter.com. Um, yeah, Evan, you've been in business a long time. I mean, and I say that just, you know, as we're, we're sitting here looking at each other, you've got the same color of hair I do. There you go. Uh, so we, we've yeah. been around the, around the track a couple of times. We've seen things happen. And a lot of my work is organized around, you know, the the power and impact of mindset on the way that the results are produced. And by mindset, I'm talking more you know, specifically around belief systems that have been kind of entrenched and solidified and reified. Gen Z, Gen X coming into the workforce, we've been talking about work-life balance, different you know, compensation uh, dynamics come into play here. Money isn't the motivator that people you know, used to think that it was. You know, uh, and that it certainly isn't today. This whole idea of, you know, from a mindset perspective, paying attention to how people are performing relative to legacy metrics, as opposed to how they're contributing. What's the biggest challenge to somebody that is in a you know, management position? You know, they're probably in their late 40s, early 50s, something like that. Yeah, you know, what's what's what are they facing here that they need to actually pay attention to? Yeah, you know, I, look, I, I think the biggest challenge that we're facing today in this in this regard is how do you train the next group of people, no matter what level you are, in a virtual environment? You know, the 
the proverbial, hey, follow me around and sit in the corner and don't talk in a conference room. Blaine's coming in and I'll say, hey, Freddie, find out if Blaine wants coffee. Freddie's my whatever Freddie is. Doing, I've never, I've only once been on a Zoom meeting where there was someone I didn't recognize and they're like, oh yeah, this is my, you know, entry level person. They're just following me around. Like no one does that um, or a few people do that. And so the challenge really is in this virtual environment is how do you embark a culture? How do you teach someone those sort of skills? How, you know, it's not just about it's about identifying problems. It's solving problems. And how do you do that in this new hybrid virtual environment? And again, you know, I think the number of companies that are going to be 100% in person are far and few between. And I think most of your audience is probably address, is probably living in this sort of hybrid world. And how do you do that? You know, what's, what's crazy is I was using Zoom five years ago. And, you know, five years ago, Zoom, we used to call it like a video conference call, right? Do you, oh, let's have a video call, a video conference call. You had Skype, you had GoToMeeting, there were a bunch of these things that you had, and obviously Zoom. Um, and now, so it was, a, it was an upgrade from a conference call, and now it's a downgrade from a face-to-face meeting, right? <laughs> I view this session between the two of us as it could have been in person, but instead we're doing it over Zoom. This isn't a conference call, it's that instead we're, we're actually here. And so the question now is, how do you train people? How do you, how do you teach people to do that? You know, in, in the old days, or not so old days, you know, you would tell your salesperson, look, stop emailing, pick up a phone, call the person and schedule a meeting. Deals are done face-to-face. You know, that's how you get deals done. Is that happening now, right? How do you solve problems where you're not all sitting in the same room and you have a whiteboard and you could order in a pizza and solve those problems? And, and I think those are really the challenges that you, you have to sort of deal with um, because it, it's just affecting everybody now. Yeah, you know, to that point, I mean, you've got an interesting background in tech. Um, you know, you instant messaging. I mean, you, yeah. you know, and I won't go into a lot of that stuff, but, but you, 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 you've been on CNBC, you've been on Yahoo Finance. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about those two in particular because, yeah, the AI function. Now, that seems like a little bit of a jump here, but AI coming into play is impacting across the board all kinds of ways that we interact um, with our clients, with our subordinates, with our uh, peers with, you know, and you just fill in the blank. Where is AI fitting in this whole dynamic? Yeah, so, you know, let, let's, I think AI, again, we at Recruiter, we, we have our own AI platform for yeah. sourcing candidates and it's just fantastic. You know, 160 plus million profiles in our database that we engage for clients, you know, large and, large and small. Um, I think that what AI is doing, you know, is the old macros that you and I sort of grew up with, right? What was the macro? Oh, I do the same 20 steps and I can create a macro to do the same 20 steps for me. I think AI is the next level there. The AI is really doing some of the mundane things that we used to do. Hey, you know what? Go through this list and find these people. Uh, and instead of just giving me a list that we would do back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, reach out to them through SMS with this, these messaging, you know, it's more sequencing and using uh, AI bots and all this other stuff as part of it. But, you know, so much of what we do, and certainly in the recruiting world, recruiting is a human interaction. Yeah. Um, I don't care how many bots you got and AI and Shmei and all the other AIs, 
you know, no one is coming to work at your company or my company or any restaurant without actually talking to somebody. I don't care if you're the CEO, the CTO, or the or the dishwasher. No one, you're not showing up to a job saying, hey, I didn't talk to anyone, but I'm ready to work, right? Someone <laughs> in that process is making sure that I am who I am, that I understand the culture, et cetera. So I think that the, the reason I'm pointing that out is there's a stopping point of what AI does, right? So yeah. in the recruiting world, what we wanna use our AI platform for is to find me the people so I can spend more time having meaningful conversations um, than spending time finding them. You know, so using technology to do the things that take up way too much time mm -hmm. so I can actually focus on the things that I should be doing, not the things that I have to do. And that's probably when I think about AI, I, I, that's really what I would want to see happen. More and more things of, so I could do my real job. What's my real job? My real job is X and Y and all those other things. How do we, how do we move that off my plate? You know, the idea that um, we connect best through vulnerability and we disconnect through certainty, um, and then just this notion. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking about this in terms of the AI, you know, uh, uh, throughput that you were just referencing here, it'll, AI will you know, sort through some very specific parameters to get somebody to a position where, and I'm looking at this from a, from a recruiting standpoint, where I can get them in the door to talk to me about you know, coming to work with them. Authenticity is a different animal. And, yeah. and, and who I hire makes a difference. I, and I, what I'm learning, and not, this is not new news to anybody, I don't think, but who I hire makes such an incredible difference and if I'm hiring for skill set, I'm going to be dead in the water in the long term because I'm not really attending to the culture of the organization in the way that it needs to be attended to. What are you finding, yeah, Evan, that um, is being used today? And then I kind of come back to this great resignation and yeah, you know, employment numbers, uh, unemployment numbers were up uh, surprisingly this last week. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's, yeah. When, I'm, when I'm looking to get somebody in a seat, to actually perform, number one, and contribute greatly, number two, how are we sorting for authenticity? And I know that's probably a $64,000 question, and that statement dates me yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, here. so um, you got a lot of questions there in, yeah. in one false swoop, and it really depends on the role itself. You know, I, I think that what you need to be asking as a business owner, or in this case, a hiring manager, is what's the progression for this job, right? What sort of person do I want? What, what do I want their values to be? Um, and what's going to happen next to them, mm -hmm. right? Because fact of the matter is what the candidate wants to know is when I'm done with this role, what do you got for me? Yeah. Right. So, I, I, and I think that, Hey, look, here are the skills you're going to learn. Here are the, here are the things you're going to contribute. Here's what I expect your performance to be. And then here's what happens next. So after the next six months or a year or two years, here's what's going to happen to you. Here are the skills you're going to have, et cetera. Now, are you interested in that? Is that, is that aligned with what you're trying to do here now? Um, because the reality is if they're not and the person still takes the job, they'll be looking to leave in you know four months. By the way, like 60% of all millennials, this was a survey, have no problem leaving a job within the first six months. Yep. So you know if you're not creating a role that is meaningful um, for them? How do they fit into the overall puzzle? But also at the same time, you know, you're a business owner, you got to be building a bench, right? You know, you got to be, you know, getting the five people on the bench, knowing that two are going to leave and or whatever that number is, you know, yeah. you got to be, where's your, where's your camp? Uh, not uh, camp, you know, 
Where, where's your, uh, what's it called? Well, there's a right. baseball for, you know, where are the minor leagues, you know, where are you bringing people up through the, through the process, through the system. And my, my recommendation is to sort of look at your own business and create areas where you could build a bench, create areas where you could take people right out of college, find the young people who have the, you know, inherent drive to be part of the team, et cetera, and use them as part of, you know, that, that field level, you know, get, get them into the overall process itself. Um, Cause then you're inculcating people, you know, and by the way, it's a class. So if you're worried about doing things virtually, you, you know, have four people that start on the same day, they could communicate with each other. It's all these other things, yeah. you know, part of the, part of the problem, I know we're almost out of time is that pre pandemic, we were forced into a culture right? We were forced into it. I had to show up to the office. We had to go to, it was Debbie's birthday. We all had to go to the conference room, celebrate Debbie's birthday. We, you know, we all had to do that. We see people, oh, let's have lunch. Let's have coffee. And as much as we prefer to be back in our own office, delivering, contributing and performing, um, we were forced into this culture environment. Oh, look how friendly it is. Everyone's friendly there. Everyone's got their own desk, pictures of children, et cetera. Now, we actually have to make time for culture. You know, so whereas culture was sort of part of what we were doing, it was part of the experience of going in the office every day. Now we actually have to make time for it. And by the way, guys like us, we might've felt since we were buying pizza for the company on Friday, check the box on culture. You know, oh, look, hey, Blaine, what are we doing for culture? I buy lunch for everyone on Friday. There, there you go, I'm done, I'm done. Now, what are you sending someone pizza on Friday? Is that, that's not doing it. You know, there's a whole... How do you create that? And I struggle with that all the time. Struggle with it all the, all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I love this. And I know that we are getting close to wrapping here. I, you know, just the, the idea of uh, contribution. Yeah. You've got a foundation. And I want to be sure that we touch on this. because I know that this is something that's important to you. Do you want to talk a little bit about the foundation? Yeah. So um, thank you for asking. I, I had a brother who died in 1993 from cancer. He was uh, one day short of 29. Uh, and he was a Wall Street trader. Um, and his boss and manager and friends uh, approached the family. They wanted to do something in my brother's memory. And they had this fantastic idea for a conference series uh, that was sort of a best idea conference in hedge in the hedge fund market. Um, and uh, we uh, years later, we started a foundation out of it, et cetera. And we've, we've raised over $100 million for uh pediatric cancer, cancer research, and other childhood diseases and causes really on a global level. So if you think about uh, the big conference was in New York, but now we have uh, 11 cities around the world, San Francisco, Toronto, Hong Kong, Mumbai, Tel Aviv, Sydney, Sao Paulo, Monaco, London. I probably forgot one. They'll probably get upset with me that I forgot one. Um, but you know, really, uh, really, really exciting. And it's just doing really good work. And all the money really goes to support local charities. It's been, it's been a real uh, honor for me to, to honor my brother uh, in, such a, in such a regard. It, it used to be called the Iris Sohn Investment Research Conference. Then it became the Iris Sohn Research Conference. The, then it became the Iris Sohn Conference. And then I guess the marketing people said, look, just call it Sohn. And, um, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really a, a pleasure. And things like uh, the decimation of Lehman Brothers in 2008 was done by David Einhorn at the Iris Sohn Conference. Um, Shamath Bopalia, who's in the news now, yep. his long on Amazon a bunch of years ago was at the Sone conference. Uh, Bill Ackman's uh, Herbalife short, uh, that was a Sone conference, but his 
uh, you know, Allied Steel was his uh, another one that he did also at the Stone Conference. So we've had some very, very interesting calls at the conference. Um, and uh, again, it's a, it's a great event. Uh, you can go to stoneconference.org to check it out. Uh, but uh, uh, we'll be virtual, I think, in May uh, in the New York area. But they, there's, there's usually one coming up uh, at any point in time in the calendar. Um, I, yeah, when I read that, I was I was just thrilled because you know, I mean, wife, you know, my wife and I, you know, you know she founded a, a foundation, and just the work that you do from a social impact perspective, I, I just take my hat off to that. I truly uh, do. Thank I'm you. Sorry thank I learned about your brother. Thank uh, you. I, I'm going to quote Ken Langone, who spoke years ago at the conference. Uh, we usually have a keynote speaker that's not a Wall Street guy that just talks about you know philanthropy. And Ken Langone, great line was, "I didn't know how much I had till I saw how much I was giving away." <laughs> and I thought that was like a very, very nice, uh, nice metric there. So it's really a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, the whole idea of being a center of distribution. Yeah, it, that's it, right. It all comes back. So Evan Sohn, thank you so much for the time. Uh, CEO, chairman of Recruiter.com. Yeah, you all are familiar with Recruiter.com. So uh, don't hesitate if you want to find a little place to land someplace. If you're looking for a home. That's probably going to place to start. So <laughs> thank you so much, Blaine. And really, thank you so much for the time and the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. My pleasure, my friend. You take care. Blessings. You've been listening to Blaine Bartlett uh, on the solo business with Blaine Bartlett. And you can find out more about what we're up to at BlaineBartlett.com. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.